Hey everybody, this week Aaron and I took a week off from recording. We'll be back next week with new content, but until then, please enjoy this episode from our Patreon vault. I'm coloring this picture that says how I feel about the world right now. And what does it say? Twat waffle. (laughs) (laughs) And it's beautiful. You showed me your work of art. Like, it's going to hang in the Met one day. Oh, totally. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. This one's definitely Met worthy. I I can see them, like, making the whole Met gala just off of this. Based off of that one piece of of art alone yeah can you imagine all the celebrities rolling up laura darren what brings you out tonight twat waffle (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually of all celebrities who would it would be laura dern laura dern yeah laura dern's a queen Um, we stand laura dern always i won't say the name of the app that i use because they don't pay us and so if they'd like to pay us, they can, but I do have an app on which she reads a bedtime story and I have, Oh, listened, I know what app that is. I, I have that app too. I have listened to it 3000 times. I don't know if she actually gets to the end of the story because her voice is so soothing, but I'm just like, Laura, lose me to sleep. That's not a word. Lull me to sleep. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Those stories, as a person that suffers from major insomnia, those stories do have an ending. But um, I don't often reach them, but I do occasionally. I've never gotten to the end of hers, though. So That speaks volumes to our queen. Yes. I love Laura Dern. We should just have a whole separate podcast about Laura Dern and all the great things she does. Right? Um mm-hmm oh god was it you who sent me the video of the gay men's choir singing about all the gay things that happened in hollywood this year and yeah. it was just two solid minutes of larder <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yep that was me best video ever i think i put it on our twitter but i'm not sure i'll have to go back and double check very possible oh hey do you know what i learned how to do today i mean you do know but i'm going to tell you again Tell me again. I learned how to create my own fonts. That's right. Oh, yes. I'm so excited because I'm going to do one for you. Yeah, I'm so pumped. And uh, once once you get it all filled out and I get it all digitized, we'll post a picture on our Instagram of the font based on Aaron's handwriting. Yay. I'll finally be doing some kind of good. Uh, I think you do good every day. Oh, because you compliment me more than anyone I know, and I'm quite personally I enjoy that. Oh, you're welcome. You can send my gift too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, please give your address out on air. No. <laughs> oh my God, I have news though. Since we last talked, do you tell me everything? I got a kitty. Hey, Junie. Junie. She's around here somewhere. I don't know where. She runs away, but she's not outside. So, well, I I think I sent y'all the video last night where I bought her like this lovely bed with a hammock and a toy on it and shit. Should have known better. She sleeps on the dining room table. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Ungrateful. Ungrateful. But she's so cute. And I love her. Well, tell me mm-hmm. something real good. Um, from what I understand, you have a good case today, and it has the best title I've ever heard. Yes, today we have brought to you by our friend Fran, who totally bailed my ass out because I had nothing. A big fat goose egg for tonight literal friend of the show fran she has been our research assistant on episodes before she joined patreon yep. today like out yep. hours ago um mm-hmm. so. i think she just wants to make sure i don't fuck up her story <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna do my best this story is called the eight day bride the most canada crime to ever canada or, as I like to write down, apparently, the most Canada bride to ever crime. 
Well, you know, I'm I'm a little conflicted because you know we have covered another crime that is the most Canada crime right? ever. Canada. I think that maple syrup heist might be the most Canadian crime, but we have to read this and make a decision. The jury's still out. We'll po- we'll post a yes. poll at the end of this episode. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so we have. Ronald Barry, an Italian immigrant whose original last name was something that I can't pronounce. And I'm so glad that Fran wrote, that's neither here nor there. I just want to point out how shitty literally everyone was to immigrants always, not be just because of my people. <laughs> right? Okay. So I was telling somebody, it might have even been y'all when we had our Google Hangout not too long ago, that my <laughs> great grandparents' last name is Deutsch. That wasn't their name, and it's only recently that I found their, like, immigration information. But that's what it became because they spoke no English in immigration. And so the immigration officer wrote down Dutch as their last name because they kept trying to say Sprachen Sie Deutsch. Like, we we speak German. So that is my heritage, is not my real last name. Do you know what your real last name is? Yeah, I've already forgotten it, but I did find it oh. this week. I've gotten really into genealogy because now we're in season four of quarantine where uh-huh. <laughs> where I pick up a new hobby, which is apparently genealogy. Well, during season four of quarantine, I'm just finding trying to find a new country to live in. So, Oh, so you're just asking so you can go and <laughs> hit up my family uh-huh. and be like, I'm a friend. No, no, my family's from Germany too, so. Oh, good, okay. Or my dad's side, okay, my dad's side of the family's from Germany, my mom's side of the family is from Ireland, and we mishmash all together to make one big white person. Absolutely. I'm just a bottle of glue. Mm Mm-hmm. But I digress. (laughs) (laughs) We really digressed. (laughs) Oh, our other parties involved are Christina Cecilia Kettlewell. Kettlewell? Kettlewell? You got real Texas there. I'm not judging you because I heard myself last week. <laughs> <laughs> and John Ray Jack Kettlewell. You worked really hard to keep those vowels really vertical. <laughs> Listen. My mama didn't send me to finishing school for nothing. Okay. <laughs> Twice. Two times. <sighs> Enough about my childhood. Okay. So Christina married Jack, a U.S. Army Dental Corps. I didn't know that was a thing. So I want to know, was he a dentist in the army or was this a very specific branch of the army that only messed up people's teeth? (laughs) On May 12th, 1947 with Jack's best friend, Ronnie Barry. God, these people have terrible names. (laughs) They don't sound real. No, as the witness. It was a quick ceremony because neither of their families approved of the union. It was just the three of them. Christina's sister showed up at her doorstep only to talk her out of it. Christina understood and respected her sister's wishes. After hearing them out over tea, um, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm already fucking this up. Fran's going to kill me. <laughs> so Christina under understood and re- respected her sister's wishes after hearing them out of her tea. Psych, she called the cops on them and they were escorted away. <laughs> <laughs> Helen Moken thought Ronald was in love with Christina, especially after he accompanied the newlyweds on their honeymoon. Okay, well, first of all, that's how you know he does not love her. Right? That's how you know. Yes. I'm not singing today. To be clear, Christina's family did not have an issue with Jack. It was his best man, Ronnie, that they had a problem with. Okay. Ronnie was John's life. John? (laughs) We are crushing it today. 
help me. Um, his lifelong friend, business partner, even though most of their ventures failed, Ronald, it must be said, is a ballroom dancer and a hairdresser. Everyone needs their niche. Don't give me that, Aaron. <laughs> days of the honeymoon they spent it in jack and ronald's apartment yes they lived together shut up we don't judge in this house. <laughs> before going to ronald's cabin in severn falls about two hours away from mimico and accessible only by boat if you can't take a car then the place is too far <laughs> i mean that's my new motto for life <laughs> you know what else features a cabin so remote you can't drive to it last house on the list <laughs> <laughs> once they got to the cottage christina became moody by all accounts she seemed dazed at times and was prone to crying fits she confided in ronnie that she was unsure if jack even loved her because who else would you talk to if not your gay best friend <laughs> She titled this section, Shit About to Get Real. (laughs) At 6.30 p.m. on May 20th, Ronald came back to the cabin after getting a tan to find Jack dazed with a head injury. As he took him outside for some air, he noticed smoke coming from the kitchen. He goes inside and sees a fire. Christina is nowhere to be found. He delegates the neighbors to deal with the fire while he took Jack to the hospital. After an hour, the neighbors told him the the cottage was completely destroyed, even though the fire was put out. At around 10 p.m., a neighbor alerts Jack and Ronnie that they see Christina's body floating in nine inches of water. But you're asking right now, was she there the whole time? Well, no, she was not. As a matter of fact, she was found 150 miles away from the cabin. I'm still stuck on this floating in nine inches of water because like, that seems like, I mean, I know you can drown in anything and that, that obviously she wasn't, she wasn't drowned in that spot, but like nine inches seems really shallow. And I'm just thinking like my gut alone is bigger than nine inches in height. Like I would just be sticking out of this puddle, just like a perfectly round gut hanging out of this puddle. And I don't know why that's the mental image I needed to share with everybody, but <laughs> You're so straight up, when I was a kid, my biggest fear was getting my hair caught in the bathtub drain and drowning. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Because, because one of my babysitters told me not to lay under the the faucet because I would get my hair caught in the drain and I would drown. Hey, everybody, let's not lie to children about ways you can die because there's already enough. <laughs> I was terrified of that. In fact, I still kind of am. I was probably 12 or 13 before I would face forward in the shower just because I was scared of the water hitting my face. So I don't blame you. (laughs) Ronnie was questioned by authorities for 13 hours and that's illegal. So um, he wrote two statements, one of which was 3000 words. Uh, Shit. How do you do that? I've been working on a book for days and I'm lucky to get 1500 words out. Whatever. I like designate writing time. Literally Fran wrote, what is this dude's secret? I'm lucky if I get 2000 in a whole day. (laughs) So Fran, for those of you who don't know Fran, A, I'm so sorry that you don't because I think everyone in the world should know Fran. But also, Fran is a writer like me, and we often um, discuss the woes of writing, which if you don't know, the main woe of writing is that we're not writing. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I started a a story, what, in December? Uh Uh-huh. Walked away from it. Haven't come back. I still think about it. (laughs) It's a fond memory. (laughs) No, I'm I'm just noodling around some ideas. Right. Um, authorities have described it by using words like fantastic, which I mean, is it a book report? Is it a statement? Who knows? Um, Jack had been treated for a head injury and drug being drugged. Um, they went easy on him though. And he was interrogated for three hours. He maintained that he did not remember anything after having breakfast with Christina and Ron at 11 a.m. 
police were very fixated on Ron's relationship with the couple, which aren't we all? Right. They were convinced that Ronnie had arranged the marriage, which he vehemently denied. He also claimed that he did not even want to go on the honeymoon with them, convinced that he went out of convenience, saying, quote, he drove them and then helped with their baggage. It sounds like, A, you helped with a lot more baggage than just what the clothes were packed in. I mean, physical and emotional baggage, for sure. But B, how does somebody twist your arm to make them go on your, like, to make you go on their honeymoon? I just, I have more questions than can possibly be answered. I have a theory, and it's that he, they were lovers. Right. Yeah. So, the trial. An inquest about Christina's death on the grounds of foul play was put in place on June 19th, 1947. Oh, the 40s. Um, The trial was given a lot of publicity. It got to the point where Jack and Ronnie were signing autographs. No. fucking can't. (laughs) You're canceled. All of this is canceled. Like those kids when they murdered the guy at the party. Oh yeah, the case. And that they we... were all, like people were wearing T-shirts out of their at their trial. Uh huh. I was like, the, at first you just gave me so little information. I was like, am I supposed to be filling in the details? Are they going to come? Or are we just we're just going to leave it at the kids who killed the guy and just call it a I day? Mean, I said at the party, and we literally did an entire podcast episode about I it. I know, I know. I got there eventually. <laughs> uh, her death was labeled as drowning, but the toxicology reports show that there were traces of codeine in her stomach, and what I would give for some traces of codeine right now, for real. <laughs> they did not rule out suicide right away, given her moodiness and the fact that she was that it was the forties and she's a woman (laughs) (laughs) to their credit. They were really on it with foul play and did their best investigation. Major Lawrence Scardy Scardy which does not sound, none of these people sound like real people. (laughs) This is all might've made this story up. This is all (laughs) part of that 3000 word short story. The guy wrote, we're just now (laughs) reciting the story he wrote. (laughs) So, Lawrence, Larry, fought the fire while Ronnie took Jack to the hospital and claimed that he had not seen Christina's body when he was getting water to put out the fire, even though he had been fetching water from the same spot where Christina's body would later be found. NBD. NBD. (laughs) Listen, I knew that if she was in the way, she wasn't helping. I didn't see her body. I just saw her laying there not helping. Lazy. (laughs) Christina's bare feet had no marks on them despite her supposedly walking to the river from the cabin. She also had no burn marks or any other signs of violence on her body. They theorized that her body was placed in the water after she had been drugged. This sounds like... Oh, go ahead. The title of this next segment is Call Me By Your Prison Name. Francesca, you have outdone yourself. Now it sounds like what? Oh, do you remember when we covered the Lululemon case and the girl tried to cover it up? So she used a pair of shoes like that were in the store and she said multiple people came in, but it was just the one set of footprints. It sounds like the opposite of that. Like they did nothing to make it look suspicious. So it looked even more suspicious and she did too much to make it look suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Okay. Um, Okay. So after some research, Jack and Ronnie did fess up to having an affair. Jack said that he was coerced into giving a statement to the police. When pressed, Ronald did the whole, it was a phase thing and said that he experimented with Jack, but nothing happened since 1939. And she wrote, she wrote, I immediately th- thought of the scene in Lily Blonde when Chuck is like, you bitch, and storms out of the <laughs> Severn Falls locals had noticed that Jack and Ronnie took frequent trips to the cottage and thought it was peculiar. 
Happy Pride Month. That's all. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Some of Christina's letters were found, and it was written that she both knew and was bothered by their relationship. Um, She's Anne Hathaway to their Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. (laughs) Oh, man. It, does it suck that Fran's better at our jobs than us? Yeah. <laughs> Strap yourself in. This gets a lot worse. Great. I love it. Many people speculate that Christina was suffering through mental illness. On April 6th, Easter, Easter Sunday, Christina wrote a letter and addressed it to Ronnie. In it, she talks about Jack not having yet proposed, and she admits to having tried to uh, die by suicide by poisoning herself. Quote, this will be the best way out as I cannot bear to see another girl have him, she wrote. Well, sweetie, you won't have to. I was going to say, I don't think that's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Towards the end of April, Christina wrote another suicide letter addressed to Ronnie in which she expresses her desire to die by suicide and also kill Jack. Okay. I don't like that Um, one as, I mean, I didn't like the other one, but I don't like that one either. As luck would have it, Ronnie had saved all the letters she wrote. So that worked out really well. Oh, good. Um, And she and I have very similar handwriting. I know it's strange, but like, you know, you know, couples who write together have the same handwriting together. It's a phrase. Everyone says it. (laughs) Some people thought that he did this on purpose to paint her as mentally ill and she would shoulder the blame for the fire and the drugging. Imagine that. No. Before getting married, Christina and Jack had taken out life insurance policies on themselves and both placed Ronnie as the sole beneficiary. Um, I'm going to call that into question. Their policies were $5,000 apiece. Which, with inflation, is $57,486.32. Okay, that's just over a year's salary. It's not worth killing somebody over that much. Well, yeah. He also got a hefty payout from the fire at his cottage. There we go. Okay. Christina was buried in the same church that she was married in, which is very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, there's more. <laughs> of course there is. Jack remarried a woman three years later. They separated in 1969, but never formally divorced. Among their marriage, they had a son named Richard. In 1992, Richard's wife, Sharon, was going through a few microfilms of a local newspaper when she found the story of the eight-day bride. Jack had never told his family about it, and he was in poor health at the time of their discovery, so they kept quiet about it. Jack would pass in 1998. Jack, a quiet and reserved man, was known to avoid confrontation. Richard and Sharon believe he was manipulated by Ronnie and strung along strung along on a grand scheme. What happened to Ronald? He took off in 1956 for New York after leaving his dog to Jack and was never seen again. Oh my god. So Fran, that's the story. Oh, she knocked it out of the park. I love her. I don't. She's the best. I still don't agree that this is the most Canada crime to ever Canada because this is not very Canadian. There was not a single apology. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin Trudeau was not in it. And oh, you've seen right. you see all the memes. Have you seen <laughs> the Justin Trudeau conspiracy? That is my new favorite conspiracy theory. So people are alleging that Justin Trudeau is the illegitimate son of Fidel Castro. And there are face side by side facial comparisons. And he actually does favor him. I can see this. Um, And there are pictures of Fidel Castro with his parents before he was born. They were there with like in the picture. He's with um, Justin Trudeau's older brother. And, um, then this progression goes deeper and somebody posted a picture of Justin Trudeau without his shirt on. And they're like, his nipples are brown. I bet you his dad's nipples are pink. He's Fidel Castro's son. And so now this whole conspiracy is built on brown nipples. So you're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for that. (laughs) 
I didn't need more trouble sleeping at night, but here we are. <laughs> well, Laura Dern can l- loothe you to sleep is what I tried to say earlier. Yes. <laughs> Laura Dern can, in fact, loothe me to sleep. <laughs> so, but you made me think I saw a um, conspiracy theory that you will like today. I can't wait. Apparently, Anonymous released conclusive proof (laughs) that the royal family had Princess Diana murdered because she knew something about some child trafficking going on. We couldn't even make up a name for Anonymous. Come on. I can get on board with any conspiracy if you give me a name. You can even make up a name. You can be like... Pansy McJenkins said, and then I'm like, well, fuck Pansy McJenkins is in fact an expert on this. I've heard her name before because you just said it. So <laughs> Pansy <laughs> <laughs> oh, Look, I'm trying to catch up to Freya and she's on it today. Pansy McJenkins. I mean, I, I mean, you did not do it with Pansy McJenkins. So definitely <laughs> keep trying. I will. This episode's going to be seven hours long until I say one thing you laugh at. <laughs> Aaron has now gone that back was to it. Aaron has now gone back to painting twat waffles. So I see where I rank in this. <laughs> you paint the whole time I talk on our regular episode. I'm not Don't mad about it. Like I'm not mad about it at all. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week, y'all. Um, You're welcome for the shit show. <laughs> I'll be back next week. Which has nothing to do with Fran and everything to do with us. <laughs> 100% us. Um, I'll be back next week with something. Um, I've been thinking about doing things pride related for this month. Um, so I don't know where I'm going to head with this, but um, I hope to do something that can maybe, um, bring a little bit of joy in this awful time as we go into pride being canceled or uh, rescheduled due to coronavirus and all of that, um, that maybe I can bring a little bit of positivity somewhere. Per the announcement I saw from the gays, the official announcement. (laughs) The gays collectively. Yes. Yes. Like that lady that sued the gays. (laughs) Yes. It was their response. (laughs) Pride Month is canceled, um, or they say, I think it says, hold on, now I gotta look it up, because I don't want to fuck it up. Do, do, do. While you're looking it up, have you seen the tweet that, oh, who's that very Republican bitch that nobody likes, Tommy? Tommy Lauren? Yeah, Tommy Lauren. She tweeted one day, she was like, um... Wait until all of the liberal events get canceled. Then we'll see how they really feel. And somebody's like, Pride was canceled a month and a half ago. Tommy, get your life together. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a friend on Facebook that calls her Tawny. Uh Uh-huh. And it's fun. Uh, LGBT Pride Month has been scrapped. LBGT Wrath Month is now a go. Please update your outfits accordingly. Oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a whole lot of black this month. Mm. or just mm-hmm. really intense rainbows so somebody that commented on that post was saying oh i need glitter for my slack jacket so i think that's yes. what we're doing i'm down with uh, this fatigue time. chic yes fatigue. <laughs> if anyone can do it it's the collective gaze <laughs> all of them right well uh happy pride month y'all and uh we will talk to you next week thanks for joining us bye bye hey aaron hey paul do you know that this unsolved murders book was the best impulse purchase i've ever made No, but I do now. Um, I highly recommend it. It was the same. I got it on the same day as I got the Colts book that I read last week. That's the book that I want. Yeah. So I'll send it to you when I'm done. This one's also good. And um, it's real, real, like, 
it's the lazy man's research is what I'm trying to tell you. Excellent. So I need you to tell me some good news because it's been exactly a week since I saw you, AKA we recorded two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm reading a riveting book. It's a textbook for my next ASLI exam. It's all about insurance. Yes, you know. It is riveting. I stay up at night pondering questions like, what is insurance? Why insurance? Oh, this book will answer your question. (laughs) Yes. How insurance? Mm, (laughs) That's what I do. That's my job is I how insurance. Uh, super fun times yay well my good news is last night I sat down with a pen and paper so I'm old school I write like when I write my books I really write by hand and then transcribe it that's awesome um and I started to write a new I don't know if it's going to be a short story if it's going to be a book if it's going to be something I abandoned but I just wrote for like two and a half hours last night well that is an interesting good news because my good news is kind of in the same realm so you know I've been like brainstorming a book or a story about like a group like ours that found each other through a podcast and then the main character like they cover the podcast like covers her hometown murder and she starts to like investigate it Uh, I did not know this but you and I are writing very similar books (laughs) well I figured out like the I was like, this book has to have like an amazing twist, right? Right. I figured out my twist. I can't wait. So (laughs) one of the books that I've been writing, um, in fact, I sent a screenshot to Fran the other day and she was reading it as like voraciously as she could on Snapchat. But um, it's inspired by our group too, except that they're a group of friends who all met through forensic files like through a love for forensic files. And one of Uh the friends just stops texting one day and they find out that he's implicated in a murder. And so all of the friends are trying to long distance investigate to try to help clear his name. Um, Except that the character who is inspired by you and a mixture of Karen, um, Y'all think that, like, that character thinks that he did it. And um, so it becomes this kind of riff in a in the whole fabric of things. It's really fun. Right. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So it's really interesting that we have both been inspired by, obviously, the best thing that's ever happened to us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the best thing that ever happened and this book, Would you like to hear about the impossible murder? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, Ooh, food just appeared again. And you know, I'm living for it. Very neglected that Sarah brings you food all the time and never brings me anything. (laughs) I'll see if we can fix that. Zero stars. Uh, Winston now thinks that it's his. So that's fun. You made him perform and now he wants (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, so I want to read you like the synopsis that this book has at the start of the chapter for The Impossible Murder. Okay. It says, was, was this history-making case a perfect crime meticulously orchestrated by a ruthless math- mastermind? Or was the prime suspect just another innocent victim? Which I'm watching that Netflix show. Like if that's all it tells me on Netflix, I'm clicking no. Oh, 100%. So um, there's also a quote that I found from this case that um, says that was the prosecuting attorney. Mm -hmm. Few more brutal murders can ever have been committed. This elderly, lonely woman literally hacked to death for apparently no reason at all. Oh, God, I just saw my future. (laughs) She was married. Oh, you said lonely. Well, she was all alone. She was not lonely, but I'm just reading you the question. Was it the you. husband? So that's what we're going to figure out tonight. You know, it's been unsolved for 88 years, but you and I can crack this. Oh, in like an hour? Totally. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so 
Um, Why this... are we in charge with the FBI by now? <laughs> right? This is the murder of Julia Wallace, who was okay. found bludgeoned to death in the parlor of her home in Liverpool, England, on January 20th, 1931. Yikes. Um, the m- real mystery is that the door was apparent, like both the front and back doors were both apparently locked from the inside. So no one knows how the murderer escaped. Or do we? So my guess is that he was living in her attic. Like all those creepy stories that totally give me the shivers. Ooh. And then he came down, killed her, hid in the attic, and then left. You solved it. I mean, case is over. We're done with this Patreon episode. Six minutes and 30 Maybe. seconds in. <laughs> so, um... The case inspired actually several like novels and crime writers to cover the case. And it, in fact, uh, like it's the subject of several television dramas and like documentaries. Um, and it was also a case that made British legal history. It was the first time that a murder conviction was overturned on appeal following the review of evidence. Can I just say how excited I am that you're doing a story from Britain today? Right? I thought I'd stay on brand with you. It's Granny's 94th birthday today. Oh, happy birthday, Granny. Or in her time zone, probably yesterday by now. But yes. Interesting. Well, only seems appropriate. Queen Elizabeth's 94th birthday. Last night, I bought myself a new purse in her honor. So she was six years old when this murder was committed. Holy cow. All right, so um, William Herbert Wallace and his wife, Julia, lived in a small three-bedroom row house um, in uh, the poor district of Anfield in Liverpool. They'd been married for 17 years. Um, And when he was young, he had actually traveled a lot. He went to India and China, um, but on his travels, he got really sick, which forced him home. And um, after he stopped traveling, he met Julia and they married pretty quickly after his um, after they met. Okay. So now he's an insurance agent, and his wife Julia. I wrote in my notes she's a badass bitch. Um, she was an amateur pianist and an, or she was a pa- pianist and an amateur painter. Um, she also was very intelligent and studied philosophy and dabbled in chemistry. So, Why not? Right. Exactly. Um, William was also a gifted violin player and the couple would often play and sing duets together. And they were known throughout as kind of this, like your average happy performing couple who just does music all the time, which is, you know, how people describe me and Sarah, but without a gruesome murder in the middle of it. Not yet. Give it time. <laughs> That's right. We've only been married 10 years. So it's true. Got another seven. Mm-hmm. At least. Um, so, in fact, Julia claimed to be much younger than she was. She was actually 17 years older than her husband. He was 52 and she was 69 at the time of her death. Look, if she can pass for that much younger, get it, girl. Right? It's that chemistry. It. She made <laughs> she, <laughs> she made the first age-defying serum. I'm on board. <laughs> um So on the evening of Monday, January 19th, 1931, William Wallace arrived at the Liverpool Central Chess Club. Um, The club met every Monday and Thursday, but he was not a regular member. So um, there's nothing suspicious about him showing up for the first time in several weeks on this particular night. (laughs) In fact, it said... William was known as an enthusiastic player rather than a good one. And I just wrote, lol. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. I sang that as I annotated this. (laughs) Don't be suspicious. (laughs) So then the first time that he's here in several weeks, the club captain gets a call um, and is asked to take a message for William Wallace. The caller identified himself as R.M. Qualtroff, um, which that already sounds like a made-up name. 
Did the message say, it's done, delete this? No, might as well. <laughs> no, it said, um, I need you to ask Mr. Wallace to meet me at 25 Menlove Gardens East tomorrow night at 7.30 to discuss an insurance deal. He called the chess club. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, to me, this just like really drives it home how fucking boring it was to live in the 1930s. I can't. But also, like, like I said, this guy hasn't showed up here in several weeks, and then all of a sudden, R.M. Qualtrough just calls him, like, hey. (laughs) So... Then the caller went on to add that he can't call back because it was his daughter's 21st birthday and he's very busy. It's not even his office. <laughs> it's, there, also, I've always heard, and I mean, I'm not telling people how to do their crimes. I, you do you, boo. But <laughs> when you put too many details in, people notice. And when you say, oh, can you take a message? And I can't call back because it's my daughter's 21st birthday and I'm very busy and I need to call you right now at 637 when her party starts at 645 to tell you that I need him to come meet me tomorrow for an insurance deal. Like, I mean, all that being said, you would be shocked to learn how many people call me at like four o'clock on a Friday. Like, hey, we've had this event planned for six months. It starts in two hours, and I need to cover the event insurance. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, sir. I just hope nobody dies. Have a good day. Click. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so William took Beatty's note. Uh, Beatty was the club captain. And put it in his pocket and then remarked on how odd it was that he'd never heard of anyone named R.M. Qualtrofe. I pronounce it seven different ways because this name is spelled Q-U-A-L-T-R-O-U-G-H and could be anything. That's how I've said it in my head once. (laughs) There's Um, no way to know. It was the first. I also suspect that he said it very loudly like, hmm, that's so strange. I don't know anybody. (laughs) Hmm. Exactly. (laughs) With the hand on his hip like uh-huh. that too? Exactly. <laughs> yes. So the next the next day, William Wallace goes to work. He comes home from the insurance company where his wife had dinner waiting. They finish eating and he says that he has a meeting and he's hopefully going to bring more insurance business. Um, now, to be fair, this is um, in the 30s when the economy sucked worldwide. So... Um, he, I, I can imagine he was desperate for work, you know, mm-hmm. because just because I find this suspicious doesn't mean everybody does, I guess. So he's, no, I find it pretty, I work <laughs> in the insurance industry and I find it pretty suspicious. Okay, so. good. I needed an expert's opinion. I'm an expert. <laughs> so, uh, Wallace sets off for 25 men love gardens East. Uh, he'd never heard of the address before, but he knew the general area, so he boards a tram that set off for Menlove Gardens at 7.15. During the journey, he chatted with the conductor and a ticket inspector and mentions that he's going to Menlove Garden East on business. <laughs> Did he, like, announce it to the entire train? Like, I just want to know what happened here. With the same... Like, attention passengers, <laughs> I just want everyone to know I'm going this address (laughs) with the same veracity that he announced he'd never heard of Ariam Qualtroff so a I'd just like to make a couple things clear I've never heard of this guy and I'm going to this place well maybe maybe he was nervous maybe he thought he was gonna get murdered okay he was gonna get murdered okay I like your devil's advocate here um so he gets off the train at Menlove Gardens West and he asks a woman coming out of her house for directions to Menlove Garden East. And she said she has no idea how to get there. So he continues up Menlove Gardens West. He asks another man for directions. This man says, that's not a real thing. 
Like, I hope he said it just like that. <laughs> that's, yep. He was actually a time traveler. It was you. <laughs> it was me. I needed to insert myself in the story for authenticity. So then you did it. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so he asked a couple other people, and then he realizes that he's at the top of Green Lane, and he still hasn't found Men Love Gardens East because it's not a thing. Um, there's no historical record of this place existing either. Okay. So, um, and so he, well, how realizes, do you have a Menlove garden West if you don't have a Menlove garden East? Cause it goes from Menlove garden to Menlove garden West. So I don't know. I don't know that answer. It's, so you would think that you could go from Menlove garden West to Menlove garden to Menlove garden East. Maybe they stopped to play chess before they got to the East and then they just never built it. Maybe. <laughs> fucking nerds (laughs) so um he realizes he's near the home of a friend so he stops in to see his friend but um the friend and his wife has have actually gone to the cinema it made sure to say in this book so when you say cinema it feels so fancy um so wallace walks down green lane where he sees a police officer and asks him if he knew where men love gardens east is the officer um and, and then he asks if he knows who R.M. Qualtroff is. The officer has no idea. But then Wallace is like, let me tell you this crazy story that's happened to me. So last night I was playing chess for the first time in seven weeks. And someone called me and said they want to buy insurance from me. And, that may- and he tells like the entire story. <laughs> As someone who's been watching the Golden Girls. To escape my depression, I just have to say, shut up, Rose. (laughs) Right? So then in the midst of the conversation, he's like, oh, and can you check that uh, pocket watch you have and tell me what time it is so I have an alibi? (laughs) So um, the officer remarks that it's a quarter to eight. And... um, so he's like, um, I'm sorry. Can I get that in military time, please? <laughs> right. Can you write down what time it is and, and sign, sign it? it. Mm. And we'll find a notary real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Wallace goes on and asks several other people if they know they know where Menlove Garden East is. Nobody has any idea. So he finally decides that it. He finally finds somebody who convinces him that it's not real. So he makes his way back home. Um, when he, I mean, either way, what time was he supposed to be there? 7.15, 7.30. Yeah, you're an hour and 15 minutes late by the time you see the cop. You think that guy's still sitting there waiting for you? No. <laughs> he went with uh, Humana, like he's done with you. Yeah, better time management. <laughs> so um, later, Wallace claimed that he spoke to nobody on the way home. But thank God for nosy neighbors because his neighbor, Lily Hall, says that she absolutely saw him stop and talk to um, a short squat man before he got to his house. Okay. So Wallace arrives home around 845 only to discover that he's unable to open either his front door or his back door. Both doors appeared to be locked from the inside. His next okay. door neighbors, John and Florence, um, they see him standing outside looking worried and they come to ask if he needs help. And he says that he'd been out for several hours, which is not true, but we'll go with it. Whatever. Um, and that now he can't get in his house. And so while they're talking, he goes around to the back and then he goes, it opens now. So nobody actually saw that the door couldn't be opened from the outside. That's just what he told his neighbors. Okay. Um, so, sorry. When he opens the door, it's not funny. His response is funny. When he opens the door, Julia is lying um, in front of the gas fire in the parlor She's been bludgeoned to death with a heavy object, hit with such force that her skull had cracked open. Ew! Uh-huh. And his... <laughs> he looks at the scene and goes, they finished her. Look at her brains. And both his neighbors say in their, like, 
when they have to give um, testimony. Wait, can I guess? Uh-huh. Did they say, what the fuck? <laughs> well, they just say that he's got, like, a lack of emotion completely. Like, it's not even like he's in shock and he doesn't know what to say. He's just like, oh, they've finished her. Look at her braids. Also, who starts like, with they finished her? This isn't Mortal Kombat. No. Well, first of all, <laughs> it's almost, again, like the Annie Free <laughs> right? thing. Like, he basically opens the doors like, wow, I didn't know they were going to go this hard. Like, Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I pour him the Annie Free Dr. Pepper. And <laughs> so, um. The police arrive soon, and um, they make note that there's no sign of breaking and entering, leading them to believe that Julia must have admitted the killer into the house herself. However, um, in the trial, the husband stated, quote, it was my wife's rigid rule not to admit strangers into the house when she was alone. What a buzzkill. <laughs> right? Um, so... Um, now, Anfield, which was the area where they lived, had um, just fallen into like a, or rather just had a series of burglaries happen. Um, mm-hmm. And they had the media, of course, because they're really good at naming things, had named mm-hmm. this guy the Anfield Housebreaker, which they, they he's breaking whole houses that here. That doesn't even make grammatical <laughs> sense. Is he also trading the dogs while he's there? <laughs> I was about to say, he just lets all the dogs out. Like, <laughs> who let the dogs out? The World Health Organization let the dogs out of quarantine. I saw that. <laughs> a couple weeks ago. So who let the dogs out? Do you? Okay, so two completely unrelated stories to this case, but much needed. First of all, my high school mascot was the bulldog. And the year that we won state football championship they played who let the dogs out over the speakers for every passing period like the bell would ring and then it would who let the dogs out? <laughs> i never have to hear that song again and i'm okay second of all did you know it's about ugly women yes i had no idea until i was an adult because i've never actually paid attention because i've never really liked it that's why i'm so shocked that they played it at <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. Y'all had Google back then, right? No. We had Ask Jeeves. That's close enough. <laughs> you could uh, Yahoo search it or AOL Yeah, we had it. Yahoo search. <laughs> um. Anyway, so the um, there is money missing from the cash box. But it's such a, like, small amount compared to the amount of money this infilled housebreaker has been stealing. Also, he's not bludgeoned a single person to death. And he just picked today to right. pick up a new hobby. And nothing of this crime suits his M.O. And nothing he did afterward matches this crime either. But it's clear that it's kind of staged to look like a house burglary gone wrong. Um, so... <laughs> The police officers, and I know you're shocked, do not handle this crime scene with any kind of decorum. Nah. They trample all over the scene. They smudge fingerprints. The pathology. John, John Mulaney comes to mind again. Right? <laughs> There's blood over here. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the pathologist shows up. And doesn't take the temperature of Julia's body, so therefore can't um, determine an accurate time of death. It honestly just shocks me that they were doing that back then. Right. Um, The forensics expert um, based his diagnosis on the body's rigor mortis and put the time of death at 8 p.m. However, because she was elderly and pretty frail... um, Another, oh, sorry, no. Um, so the original diagnosis said around 8 p.m. based on rigor mortis, but a mm-hmm. more current forensics uh, expert said that because she was old and frail, it probably would have been more around 6 p.m. Okay. 
Um, so before her les- her husband left home. Uh-huh. And hmm. then um, another expert actually put, who at the time actually said um, it probably happened around 6 p.m., and then added, I would give two hours either side, which seems like a pretty big window. So between four, four and eight. And eight. Right. Yeah. Um, so what they did figure out was that this was a very brutal murder and that it was very frenzied. It was it looked like it was done out of anger. Well her skull <laughs> was cracked open. Was cracked open Uh uh-huh um so the um blood was splattered across the room indicating the killer most likely had blood on his clothes um it says splatter in the book okay yes fix it spattered thank you but i think spatter is the noun i think splatter is the verb I don't know that to be sure, so I'm not standing on this ground. All I know is paint splatter, blood spatter. Fix it. They had a copy editor who gets paid more than I do. That's all I've got for you. The copy editor is wrong. (laughs) Fix it when you say it out loud. Okay. So So I don't have like a panic attack. (laughs) There was blood splattered all around the room. And the, um, the, Guy would have, the killer would have likely had blood on his clothes, um, but the sinks and drains had not been used, so he didn't wash any blood off of him. Um, also, there was no direct evidence against him, especially because police were like, oh, look, a fingerprint. Let's buff that out real quick. Clean that up. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just draw a chalk outline so we know where they were. Police, I I was shocked, but police start to question William Wallace as to whether he killed his wife. Mm. And um, he's like, no, I was going to meet R.M. Qualtroff at um, this place in East. I was at the chess club and. (laughs) Not a real person, bro. (laughs) So, um. Not only do they find that there are only five people in Liverpool whose last name are Qualtroff, but all of them have like pretty airtight alibis. I just want to ask. I don't know why. (laughs) Somebody calls him. Not at his office. So somebody who he's never met. Uh huh. Calls him after hours at a place they just knew he might be. Uh huh. Left him a message. Uh huh. And wants to do an insurance deal. That makes no sense. <laughs> no. But he recites it like it is a passage from the Bible because he's practiced uh-huh. on that other police officer, on all the people on the train. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> so, um, also, and I'm like, you mentioned like being surprised that they have like this much forensic information at that time. They also discover that the, um, call from RM Qualtroff had come from a payphone just 400 yards from the Wallace household. Okay. It was, um, was it in a Best Buy parking lot? Right. Um, No, but it was super close to the tram stop where he would get on to go to the chess club. But um, Samuel Beatty, who is the head of the chess club, was like, no, it didn't sound like him. So, like, there's his airtight alibi was it didn't sound like him on the phone. Okay. Um, So... Investigators question why William had claimed the back door of his home was jammed, but as soon as other witnesses were there, it miraculously opened. A raincoat was found beneath Julia's body, 
William did not have a spot of blood on the suit he was wearing, so police speculated that it's possible he put the raincoat over his body to shield himself from the blood spatter. Okay, here it said blood spatter, and up there it said splattered. So I think it is a noun versus verb situation. I hate it. I don't make the rules. I know. In fact, English doesn't really make the rules either. They're just birthed, and then people just go with it. English doesn't make the least bit of sense. So um, the police start to build a case against William. I know you're shocked because how no. could they? <laughs> um, I mean, but what about Qualtroff? Right. Right. Um, so numerous witnesses placed him on the tram at around 7.06 that evening. And others claim to have seen Julia alive at 6.45 p.m. In fact, her milk delivery man testified that he collected money from her between 6.30 and 6.45. So this time frame would have only given William about 25, 20 minutes to beat his wife to a pulp, clean himself up, dispose of the murder weapon, which was never found, hide the money that was missing from, missing from the cash box, and then catch the train. I mean, first of all... There's nothing saying he didn't take the murder weapon with him or the money right. and dispose of it somewhere along the way. Right. Second of all, unless that raincoat reaches the floor, his legs and feet would have had blood spatter on them. <laughs> <laughs> and third of all, it wouldn't take, if the crime was frenzied and like, in the midst of like the heat of like passion, like, you know, like a crime of passion situation. Yeah. It's more likely that he would have lost control and would have been able to split open her skull. Right. For with, with not even realizing it. Right. Well, so he's arrested on February 2nd for the murder, uh, for the murder of his wife. He stands trial and, um, during the trial, he seems detached, and he speaks with this monotone voice. Um, well, how do we expect him to speak during a trial? I have no idea. I'm just reporting facts now. Okay. Um, an observer of the trial, who was a crime writer of the time, uh, mm-hmm. said, quote, The jury did not like this man or his manner, which could have been either stoicism or callousness. They did not understand his lack of expression. And they knew it hid something. It could have hidden sorrow or guilt, and they made their choice. Um, He then said, people of unpleasing personality should be advised never to go in the witness box. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So then he also speculates that because Wallace wears these round metal frame glasses that resemble... um, Dr. Crippen, who was a notorious wife murderer, that that didn't help his case. Like, he resembled another murderer. And so they, um, the trial lasted four days, and the jury deliberated for one hour and found him guilty within an hour. Wow. Yeah. That's rough. So one month later, he becomes the first man for in Britain to have a conviction for murder dismissed on the grounds that it was not supported by evidence. Okay. Um, so he moves away two years later. Oh, he moves away and two years later he dies. Um, mm-hmm. And he is buried next to his wife. But then there are several conspiracies that surround this. Like, yes. Chief of which being that he had an accomplice, which makes the most sense, especially because there was that one neighbor who said they, yeah. that she, he, she saw him speaking to somebody on the way home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now a motive was never really found. And that's the big thing that gets me. Like, I know there's not always a motive, but this, if he had an accomplice, there had to be a motive. Yeah. You know, like crimes of passion are a thing, but once you start bringing in friends, like Mm -hmm. that's calculated. Yeah. So, and also he had to have somebody call the chess club the night before. So he had a whole night to sleep on it. Right. Um, so there was a writer, Roger Wilkes in 1984, 
who was researching the case, and he found a new witness, a retired mechanic named John Parks, who claimed that on the night of Julia Wallace's murder, he'd hosed down this man, Richard Gordon Perry's car, and he came across a blood-stained glove, which Perry snatched away quickly. Um, Richard Perry, Richard Gordon Perry was a former work colleague of Wallace. And um, Wallace had reported Perry for wrongdoing at work, which led Perry to being fired. So this person suspe- like speculates that it was a revenge crime, mm-hmm. which does actually play well into this idea of like, we found a motive. We found why he would make up a name and make up an address. Yeah. Um, now, in another book, The Killing of Julia Wallace... Um, another suspect appears. Um, his name is Joseph Caleb Marsden. Um, this writer, Gannon, theorizes that Wallace knew that he did not have long to live. Um, like, like I said, he died two years after that. So he mm-hmm. suspected that Wallace knew he had some kind of illness that would kill him. And mm-hmm. so he decided he did not want to spend his final years with a wife that he hated. So he hires this man, um... Oh, so this speculation that he hired Perry, the man that he'd gotten fired, to make the bogus phone call in order to provide Wallace with a cast iron alibi. Mm -hmm. Um, Gannon contended that neither Wallace nor Perry committed the murder, but this man, Joseph Caleb Marsden, that um, Marsden was about to marry into a wealthy family, but Wallace had discovered that he was having a sexual relationship with Julia and so Wallace blackmailed Marsden into killing his wife and saying, if you do this for me, I won't tell the girl you're marrying that you've been having this affair. Which is a little far-fetched for me, but you know I like a good conspiracy. That's really far-fetched. Um, so yeah, this murder has remained unsolved for 88 years. It's been covered on multiple podcasts and books and... um I most believe the guy liked it was a revenge killing. Yeah. Um, that seems to make more sense. But it is very suspect, unless Wallace was just one of those people who chats too much, that he told everybody the same story. I mean, my dad is one of those people, so. <laughs> That's fair. Well, that is the murder of... Um, Julia Wallace. That is a wild story. You're welcome. Thank you. This book also has um, the Black Dahlia, the Zodiac, and JonBenet Ramsey. So, have you listened to um... shit? What was it called? Root of Evil. No, tell me about it. It's a podcast. And I think they solved the Black Dahlia case. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm excited to listen to it then. It's very good. Very, very good. I will listen to it. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Let's do this again on Sunday. Let's do this again on Sunday. Awesome. All right. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.